0: Welcome to the Banyan Edge podcast. Here's your host, Charles Sizemore. Welcome to the Banyan Edge podcast, America's number one source for smarter, safer, more profitable investing, where we aim to bring you the very best ideas and the very best minds in the business, completely filter free. I'm your host, Charles Sizemore, and today joining me is the legend, the man, Mr. Ian King, editor of Extreme Fortunes and regular contributor to the Banyan Edge. Welcome aboard. Thanks, Charles. Good to see you. What's happening? Well, not too much. But uh, this week, I do want to take uh, kind of go back in time a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you wrote a piece back in December that we still get feedback from. You really struck a chord with this one. Uh, You really kind of riled people up. Uh, Again, nearly three months later, we're still getting regular feedback. People write in all the time just to give their thoughts about it, just to give us their two cents to say, that's right, Ian, I'm with you, you know, you know. The article, the title was appropriately Uncle Sam's Race to Fire China. So you tell me, you know, like, what was it about that piece? Like it got under people's skin. Like that one really made an impact. Like what was it that really seemed to resonate
1: Well, good question. So I think that the U.S. relationship with China has really hit a tipping point in the last couple of years. And, you know, if you think back 40 years ago when China liberated their markets and U.S. and other countries started offshoring manufacturing to China, there was a cooperative agreement between the Western world and China and the rest of Asia as the the chinese experiment has moved basically 800 million people from subsistence farming into you know china's middle class this agreement between countries has moved from cooperative to competitive and i think you know it it really is something that resonates with people because we see it more than ever One problem that a lot of companies in the United States are having is that manufacturing in China has gone, costs have gone up significantly because labor wages have gone up tenfold over the
0: last 20 years. Okay. And that's one of the. And by the way, that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to grasp. Everyone just imagines China has this inexhaustible pool of cheap labor, but China's actually not that cheap anymore. Right. I mean, imagine if you applied that same
1: metric to the U.S. worker. Right. You know, let's say a factory worker in the U.S. makes somewhere around one hundred thousand dollars a year. Imagine a tenfold increase in their labor wages over over a decade. Right. The the, the factory worker goes from to one hundred thousand to a million dollars a year. A, mil- That's basically the dynamic workers. that
0: happened in China. What? Yeah, a, a millionaire factory worker.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and you know so. What we're going to start to see more and more of is that manufacturing moves out of China, to other places where it's cheaper. One thing that's happening, especially in the semiconductor market, is the US is, has sponsored a bill under this administration in order to incentivize companies to build semiconductors here in the United States so that we can basically you know, win the future, essentially, because everything that we use in our daily lives has some type of chip in it,
0: whether it be a memory chip or a logic chip. I think that kind of comes back to why this got people so riled up. Mm-hmm. Got a buddy that had um, some sort of accident. I don't remember what happened. I, he, he had a, some sort of fender bender in, in his Volvo. And it, the car was, it wasn't even that bad of an accident, but the car was in the shop for over six months. Months because they couldn't get the parts because the parts were stuck in China or on the boat or whatever. Like they couldn't, they couldn't yeah. get it because like the supply chain was such a mess. Mm-hmm. And that sort of kind of feeds some of that resentment as well. Plus, um, you know, think back to the the pandemic it, when when that was in full force. We couldn't like all of our protective equipment came from China. Our, the gloves the doctors wore, the mask it uh, that didn't exactly uh didn't exactly foster this uh yeah. this 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 good vibe between our countries i mean covid highlighted the
1: failure in our supply chain right so in, in in a typical electronics process there are about 50 points of failure that could happen right so if you're missing one component you might not be able to manufacture whatever gadget that you're trying to make and i think what we've seen over the last three years is that China has had very draconian lockdowns for COVID. I mean, when there was a COVID outbreak in, let's say, Beijing, they basically shut the entire city down, tell people to stay in their homes. I, I, I read reports that people were actually being welded into their apartments to stay inside wow. because they were so worried about the spread of COVID. And you know, we all know we've lived through it here in the U.S. and we got the vaccines and 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 we made it through different waves. China spent three years locked down. So if you're a company that's trying to manufacture things in China, you know, you were hit with those disruptions over and over again. So I think that's one reason why a lot of supply chains are moving out of China. You know, this can actually benefit American investors in a way that huge changes in global dynamics have in the past. I call this the fourth convergence. And what's happening is, number one, you have a well, huge- now, hold, t- hold
0: on. Before we, let's let's- Let's, let's, let's go a little slower here.
1: Sorry, I jumped the this, gun, Charles. So I I'm so excited about this. I'm wildly excited here. This
0: is this is the I know you want uh, to frame this. Well, let's do it. All right. <laughs> well, no, I you talk talking the fourth convergence. Mm-hmm. But that means there were three before. So, so let's actually let's let's back up a little bit here. Like what 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 is a convergence? Obviously convergence is when multiple things come together. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean for you and 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 why does it matter? Like like what give some give us some background on that. You
1: know, so in this case, number one, there's some type of government intervention. And I know that Ronald Reagan famously said, you know, the worst thing in the English language is I'm the government. I'm here to help. But that's not true for investors, because there are times when the government uh, can solve a problem better than the private sector can. It, 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 for instance, you know, take the Internet. Right. Private companies did not invite the internet, even though Al Gore thinks he did. DARPA invented the internet. Take uh, the idea of electric vehicles nowadays and the reason why battery sales are so much cheaper than they are. A lot of that stemmed from a government uh, energy program that was enacted 15 years ago to get those battery costs down. We wouldn't have this you know, new evolution of electric vehicles if it wasn't for investments that basically the government made where private sector companies wouldn't. The U.S. has a long history of public private partnerships, you know, going back to uh, the Lewis and Clark Louisiana Purchase, which was basically funded by the government and helped us explore the rest of the country. You know, think about like landing people on the moon and all the improvements in manufacturing and high tech that came out of the NASA program. So, you know, you just have you can look back and throughout history and see how many times that the U.S. government got involved to make things better or create some type of technological breakthrough. Now, in terms of this convergence, so the first is some type of government stimulus where the government is spending money to create or help incentivize businesses to make things happen. Second is some type of technological breakthrough. Third is the private money coming together in a way that basically ensures that there is going to be some huge change in the future. Um, and you know, there's been examples of that in the most recent past.
0: There's been basically uh, you're know, talking you know, about the internet. You know, the internet was created by the government, but it became a consumer thing when mm-hmm. the, the the Netscape browser was un, you know was unveiled. You know, that's what right. made it I remember possible those for days. you and
1: I to use it. Exactly. So it was basically the government created something and then private companies ran with it. But there's also times where it's just the government is incentivizing companies you know, by doing public private partnerships, for instance, you know, what we're seeing here with the Chips Act, $250 billion going into creating more semiconductors here in the United States. What I'm saying is this is going to be a windfall for specific companies, especially small cap ones that are positioned to take advantage of this production coming back to the United States. And in times past, investors have uh, done really well when they've aligned themselves
0: with these specific convergences. Well, yeah, that's interesting because we had this sort of steam building up over the last, you know, call it 10 years or even more where we things weren't super... Friendly between us and China, uh, cost in China were also starting to build up. That was you know kind of contributing as well. As you said, you know price, the price of labor went up by ten times. But companies tend to be kind of it, it, you don't move you don't turn a battleship on a dime, right? So so when not your factory is already there, it's not so easy to just pick up and leave. You, mm-hmm. you sort of suffer with higher cost and all the industrial espionage and everything else that you know is going on in China, you just sort of tolerate it because moving is problematic. But then you had the 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 the, the COVID pandemic and all of the, the the disruption that came with that, all the disruption to the supply chain, that was that final spark that sort of started this exodus out. It started a lot of the re-onshoring into the US. So, and then you had this, this this convergence where now the government's getting involved, they're, they're not idiots. And well, okay, let me back up. Our government, they, they actually are idiots, but they're not quite as big of an idiots as we as, as we think they are. They do a few things right. And they, they saw how vulnerable the country had become to disruption when we get a lot of our, you know the chips we need for the defense industry for crying out loud, when even those were coming from China, when vital medicines were coming from China. It created this environment that was really not sustainable. And even um, you know, it was that was enough to get through the remarkably thick skulls of, of even our government to realize that, hey, we got to do something about this. We need to make some investments, we we need to turn this around. And so that kind of comes to that, that first spark that, that you had mentioned, you know, that that government investment, that government involvement in this. Now I saw something else. And this, this is just, this may be total just BS, I have no idea this is true or not, but I read somewhere that the U.S. made a not so veiled threat to China that, yeah, if you actually do ever involve, invade Taiwan, we can't tolerate the idea that you're going to control Taiwan semiconductor and all of that, so... We'll blow it up before you can have it. So yeah, you, you take you take Taiwan, sure you take Taiwan. Yeah, okay, like okay. you see where that goes for you. We're gonna blow up everything of value there before you take it. So I don't, I don't know, know you if that's is, true, you know, but you bring up a good point.
1: So like, what people need to understand is that why is Taiwan so important? Right, ninety-two percent of advanced semiconductors are manufactured in Taiwan by one company, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, founded by Morris Chang. Secondly. 66% of all chips are produced in Taiwan, right? So this is basically the epicenter of, of semiconductors. And it's an island that China still thinks of its own. Okay. And so the reason why semis are, are basically urgent and vital to the existence of like our country and our planet is he who controls the prevailing technology of the time controls the world and this goes all the way back to like early human civilizations where it's like the the technology back then was like rocks right the societies and the civilizations that could throw rocks the hardest and the furthest won and then if you look over human history it became the metal ages with iron and steel and bronze whoever controlled the production of these military weapons controlled the world fast forward to the last century, World War I and World War II were won basically because America could manufacture weapons faster than the rest of the world, which is the reason why we defeated Germany in World War I and in World War II, because we were able to produce more here in the U.S. After that, the Cold War started. It became a race of who could build the most atomic weapons the fastest between U.S. and Russia. Cold War ended when Russia decided that the U.S. has such advanced semiconductors, this is going back in the 80s that we can't compete with them, right? Because the US can basically calculate our missile trajectory and stop them and be able to attack us faster and they would win the war. So that ended the Cold War. The next war is all about artificial intelligence, controlling basically artificial general intelligence and controlling these super high-tech weapons that you need advanced chip production for. And one of the reasons why the US has cut China out from uh, accessing these chips is because we're worried about them putting them in missiles. And so a lot of this started back during the Trump administration when they put sanctions on Huawei, which is a networking company, because they didn't want the networking built out in the US to help build out the 5G output and Huawei, you know, potentially spying on the US, and the rest of the Western world. It continued in the Biden administration when we sanctioned China. We don't allow them to buy any of the super high end. Uh, lithography equipment, right, which is made by one company in the Netherlands, ASML, to build advanced chips, they are limited now to importing only 16 nanometer chips or greater, which means that like the super high end stuff that's in your iPhone and other military applications, China can't access. And on top of that, the US said that any Americans that are working for Chinese companies, if you're a dual citizen, there are a lot of CEOs that are running a Chinese company and they have Chinese citizenship and US citizenship, no more. Okay, so we have completely cut China off, which is, you know, one of the reasons why they're becoming a little bit more of an irritant on the global stage. We are responding by trying to move chip production back to the U.S. by incentivizing countries, companies here at 250 billion dollars. That includes I got the list right here. You know, IBM is building a 20 billion dollar uh uh uh, foundry in uh hudson valley region you've got intel doing 20 billion dollars in arizona another 20 billion dollars in ohio micron another 15 billion dollar investment in idaho 100 billion dollars in new york samsung is doing
0: 192 billion dollar A 100 billion it's just like just 100 billion like just 100 billion dollars yeah 20 billion here, 20 billion there 100 billion like
1: yeah 100 just, just, billion dollars they're investing these are real in real <laughs> uh and you know I'll, I'll send this so we can show to our viewers as well uh, texas instruments 30 billion in in texas um, and so we're going to see more production mo- eventually you know and this is not going to happen in the next couple of years but i think this is going to be just a you know one of these large scale events that just acts as a tailwind this convergence for specific small cap stocks in the sector uh, that are positioned to take advantage of of what's happening in the United States and we're, how we're going to see this massive shift in semiconductor production. So, you know, that's basically the core of our thesis: the fact that the U.S. and China are at odds with each other. We're firing China. We're not allowing them to have access to these high end semiconductor chips because we have to maintain military supremacy. And here's how we're doing it. And I outline the companies that people can invest in if they want to participate in this. I don't think this is not going to be something that happens overnight or a month or two months. But
0: these are you know companies that are poised to see no, their but that's their just revenues. Mean, uh, you, you don't want this to happen overnight. This is a nice multi-year, potentially right, exactly decade trade you can get in on and just ride. You know this is a long-term investment trend.
1: The only urgency I would say, and it's a long-term investment trend. So you're like, there's no urgency. The urgency is that some of these stocks. Are really moving up for the last couple of months. You know, yeah. when the market was down in December, some of them were still going up. And it's like if the market takes a breather, they take a breather, but then you know the the trajectory is higher. And you can just tell that there are larger funds that are now investing in them because they don't care about what price that they're paying essentially for these small cap stocks because they know three five years down the road they're going to be a lot higher than they are. You know, the market caps going to be a lot bigger than they are now.
0: Well you see you, you see the demand tailwinds for crying out loud when you're talking about investing you know 10 billion here 20 billion like throwing out you know multiple multiple tens of billions like it's candy <laughs> That's a lot That's of money What the government is great around. at right spending spending your money That's one good thing to, <laughs> that that is something they're good at throwing a lot of zeros around <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah so I think that that
1: is one of the biggest Scenarios that's going to play out this this decade. There's a famous term from the 2010s that Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz coined. It's software eats the world. I believe that 2020 is all about hardware eating the world, which is going to require you know higher end manufacturing of chips. It's going to require much more automation where you have like robots and factories in the United States. Where we're bringing manufacturing home. And so I think this decade is all about hardware. Hardware also is going to include autonomous vehicles, which, you know, we thought we'd have on the roads by now. They're still coming. There are pilots in multiple cities, which means like there you can actually call an Uber and you get like a, an autonomous vehicle to drive you around. So it, it's like. A lot of these themes have sort of been dismissed in the bear market. And it reminds me a lot of 2003 where it's like, ah, the internet's nothing. Like it's just a bunch of Nigerian princes trying to scam us out of our credit cards. But things are still aligned and coming to fruition. You're just able to buy things at a much cheaper valuation than they were two years ago.
0: No, for sure. I think that's, I think you really kind of nailed it on the head there. Um, that with a Nigerian prince uh, idea. <laughs> How much money have you sent to Nigeria, Charles? Oh, I, everything. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's his rightful throne. I mean, yeah. I have to help him get back on the throne. It's, it's for it's the funny. good of his people. Right. Right. Did, did I, did, did it's I amazing that
1: that reached like basically 330 million Americans at one point. Right. I mean,
0: everybody knows the like Nigerian a... Prince scam. Like, like it's universal. I, I, hopefully nobody we know ever fell for it, but like everyone at least knows it. Like it's, 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 it's touched everybody. It went, they even have fire. a monarchy in Nigeria. No, it's a, it's a <laughs> republic. <laughs> I don't believe they've had a monarchy since the uh, since British colonial rule, actually. <laughs> I think it's been that long. Anyway. So there you go. They could have at least said the constitutional uh, president of, 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 uh, of Nigeria, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at any rate, on to more serious topics here. So, this idea of the fourth convergence, you're actually going to be speaking about that at length, I believe, tomorrow, right? Yep. Yep. I did a, a special webinar
1: with uh john daly uh and please check out tomorrow i think we'll have a link to it here in the show notes we'll put a link here
0: so people that are interested can join so i will say you know look this is you talk about big mega themes like big trends that are going to last years if not decades Mm -hmm. globalization was the trend for our entire lives actually you know we're both in our 40s for our entire lives, the trend was the world was becoming more and more globalized, more interconnected, um, you know, longer supply chains. You know, that was it. If you could sum up the last 40 years in one word, it would be globalization. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is the beginnings of de-globalization, that this whole thing with, with us in China tensions with Russia. All of that is is the tip of the iceberg. The bigger story here is we are looking at sort of a right sizing. Globalization probably went a little too far. And now we're looking at what could potentially be decades of right sizing where we kind of get the mix right. And what that means is you are going to, well, right now already labor markets are tight. That's not going, even if we have a recession, we're probably not going to have a lot of slack in the labor market just because as you deglobalize as as i knock my mic over excuse me as you uh, apparently i'm italian i'm speaking with my hands here but uh, as you uh, you know as you deglobalize that that makes a lot more demand for production in the us which means again automation you go to chipotle they don't make microchips they don't make semiconductors but they make their tortilla chips uh, with robots now you know that's you know that's the degree that american companies are having to go to to um to, to make deglobalization basically to function in an age of deglobalization. So uh, this is a big deal. Um, Ian, you really nailed this you you identified this months ago like I said you struck a chord with people back in December. Um, I really encourage all of our viewers to, to, to tune in tomorrow and uh, this is if you want to you want to look smart, you want to look smart in front of your friends, uh, you'll be able to talk to them about this, this fourth convergence and deglobalization. So Ian, thanks for joining me today and good luck with your presentation tomorrow awesome thanks so much for having me
1: charles i I really enjoyed it and hope we can have a conversation again in the future yes sir thanks for having me on